1: The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It is a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. It's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalaya, I am your host. Glad to be here with you this hour as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off. My good friend Bob Carver in studio. Welcome back to the program, sir. Thank you.
2: Nice to be here.
1: Yeah, happy to have you. So uh, you and I have been having an absolutely fantastic time since you've gotten into town and uh, super excited to to get you back on the show, but this time in studio. So I think we're going to have a great discussion. So Bob, I guess
2: I want to start with this. Uh, you know, what have you been doing since you've left Sunfire? Well, I've been designing loudspeakers. I've been designing amplifiers. I've been enjoying myself. I've been flying model airplanes. I've been designing oh, really? model airplanes. Uh, I've been flying my real airplane and um i've been riding horses i'm retired so i'm we, having as much fun as any retired guy could have you
1: uh you embody something that i think uh, we have we have redefined uh, my generation calls it the maker space i don't know if you're familiar with this but the maker space is basically this idea that Kids, when I was growing up and probably when you were growing up, we would go into a radio shack or we'd go into a hobby store and we would come up with a box full of components and various different things that in and of themselves were not very useful. They're better suited as paperweights than any particular thing, right? Exactly. We would combine these things, connect them and do various different things and we would build things with them and that was cool and fun and rewarding. Yes. Today, my kids, eight, five and three, they don't do that. They walk into Best Buy, they look for what it is that they can purchase and walk out of the store and put batteries in or plug a cable into and power up, take the cellophane off and all of a sudden, what does it do for them, right? And I think that's really a loss on society. But Bob, you're kind of the original makerspace, right? Because so so to go back to makerspace. So what we have done is we have started to reinvent that idea of what can we go back to, what things can we buy, and what places can we go to To build things, and so that has manifested itself with things like three D printing, and the uh, the, the Raspberry mm. Pi, the little computer we were talking about before we got on mm. the air, uh, and and things like that. Your your whole career. I mean your whole industry, your whole business, your the very definition of Bob Carver, the public personality, is built in makerspace. You sit down and you build something. I asked you when you came into the studio, I said the first thing I said is how's it been going since the last time I talked to you a day or so ago? And you said, Well, I've been designing amplifiers in my head. That's what you do to pass the time. It's a fun pastime for you to to
2: design and build things. That's right. It is. There's nothing more fun than building something. And especially The rewards are enormous when it's finished and it works. And in the case of a stereo amplifier and a pair of speakers, to sit back and listen to them, the rewards are enormous. It's hard to think of something that's more fun than that. How long have you been designing and building amplifiers and speakers? Well, I started building amplifiers when I was in high school. I think I was a freshman in high school. It was a long time ago. It might even been might have been junior high. Yes, it was junior high. At one time, I was building, I had a choice. I could build, I was flying model airplanes, and Mm -hmm. I could build a radio control transmitter or I could build an audio amplifier. And I chose the transmitter. I chose the radio transmitter because I thought that would be more fun. So I built an airplane. I built a radio control transmitter to go with it and a receiver. Uh, I purchased some servos to move the control surfaces, and away I went. But guess what? After I built it and I was flying the airplane, there was nothing left to do except learn how to fly an airplane (laughs) better and and do tighter loops and better square eights and stuff like that. Sure. So then I turned myself uh, and my efforts to building audio amplifiers. And that's been a lifetime's passion. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, It's been challenging. Uh, I've been able to do things that nobody else had done before. And that was a lot of fun to see that be fruitful and come to market. Um, Give me an example of something you've done that, that hadn't been done previously to you doing it. Okay. Um, You've heard the expression, what the world needs is a five cent cigar. Yes. Right. Yep. Well, what the world needed was an inexpensive high powered amplifier and they needed a a three or $400 high powered amplifier and it didn't have one. This amplifiers that had that much power were $2,000. So to develop it, I developed, uh, I invented something called the magnetic field coil and called it a magnetic field power amplifier. It had a power supply that was different from any other power supply, and it was the basis and was the genesis of a ma- an amplifier that I called the M400. It had 200 watts per channel, was a small cube. I don't remember, it was about 7 inches by 7 inches by 7 inches weighed 9 pounds. At that time wow. at, at that time amplifiers that had that much power uh, and that kind of fidelity would typically weigh 50 50 60 pounds and would cost several thousand dollars. Wow. So that was the first that was the first one. And and you built that just because you looked
1: out you saw a need in the market you said hey I could do that did was money a part of that discussion or was it more just I the world needs a thing I can build that thing it's a fun challenge
2: to build the thing if I get paid for it great if not oh, well, I still built a thing. Well, that's very true. That's very close to the reality of my thought process, except I like money. But yeah, of course. Yeah, we all do. And we <laughs> so, all have to eat, right? Right. So so I knew I knew that if I built an amplifier like that, it would be very pop- popular and very sellable. Mm-hmm. And it was. And it put me on the market. It put me on the map. Um, and that was that. After I developed that amplifier, I, realized, I walked around and went into hi-fi stores, and I was Bob Carver instead of just, Bob. yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know? so, so
1: that was sort of cool uh, l- let me ask you something for somebody out there is listening to us right and they're thinking to themselves yeah but i could never be the next bob carver because i'm just joe and i i live in wherever and i don't have any experience and i don't have any real knowledge and i, I love science and i love experimenting and i know what sounds good i think i know it sounds good i think i don't know uh, what would you say to that person can they build an amplifier could they build a speaker in their house do they need a big budget do they need a big r&d
2: department Absolutely, they could do that, and they don't need a big R and D department. As a matter of fact, when I when I built my first amplifier, I built it in my living room on the kitchen table in the kitchen, mm-hmm. uh, and I had some ideas, and it wasn't very expensive. All I had to do was go to Radio Shack and buy the parts, and they were inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, by and by, I started making power transformers and things like that that I needed for the amplifiers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I brought it to market by myself. I didn't hire anybody to bring it to market. I thought uh, Bose Company might want to, would might be interested. Mm-hmm. Amar Bose wrote me a letter and said, "Hey, uh, this would be cool." So, but I sent him the sent him the circuit diagram, and they weren't interested after hmm. that. And I thought that was sort of crazy of them. So I brought it out in, anyway by myself, and then they copied it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they dead copied the, the, it and it
2: riled me up no end really
1: yeah did you ever feel like you were did you ever feel like you were the small guy like you 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 had an idea and you thought this is my opportunity you present it to the big boys they turn you down you bring it out fine i'm going to do it myself that had to have been discouraging when they write you a letter and say that hey we're not interested
2: in your thing it's not that great of a thing good luck kid it wasn't discouraging really um no because what i what what risk the way i responded internally was are you guys crazy (laughs) 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 because you knew it was good yeah i knew it was good i knew it would be successful and i said nuts to you guys i'm going to do it myself and i did and that was that it was a blessing in disguise actually Oh, sure. Yeah, because it, because otherwise Bose would be the name that we'd all be
1: talking about and Bob Carver would still be just Bob, right? Yeah, that's
2: exactly right.
1: So when you go to build a, a, a speaker component or a, a speaker, somebody out there wants to do that. Obviously, Radio Shack
2: doesn't exist. Where can somebody go to buy the components? Um, you can go online and buy them. They're all available. Everything that was ever available through Radio Shack is now available online parts express digi key those kinds of places exactly and the and the offerings are vast now far greater than anything radio shack you can buy almost any driver uh any cone driver a ribbon driver radio shack used to have an electrostatic loudspeaker that they sold and it was great um that's the only thing i don't know that can be purchased right now. I'm not sure about that. What
1: was the, what is the process uh, when you sit down? If you if you we were talking a little bit earlier, and you said you don't do a lot of speaker design anymore. Now you've kind of moved on to amplifiers. That's what you that's what you settled in for your retirement activity. But um, when it comes to speakers, how does that how does that go about? How do you go about the process of designing a speaker? If you were going to design a new one today what would you What would that look like if you were sitting inside of your living room and let's just say for the sake of argument that you didn't have access to a large budget and you didn't have access to some of the industry contacts you undoubtedly have
2: it it doesn't take a great deal of money it just it just takes a bit of perseverance and an idea, of course. Um, if I were going to design a speaker today, I would close my eyes and I would say to myself, "What do I want this loudspeaker to do? Well, I want it to develop a large sound stage it's mm. bigger than life. I want it to have a soundstage that extends far beyond the boundaries of the loudspeakers. I want it to have a soundstage that goes deep back from the loudspeakers. Um, I want it to be all-encompassing. I want it to make a sound feel that immerses one when one listens, and the speakers aren't there. They disappear. You're not aware of of the loudspeakers. So I would say that's what the goal is. Hmm. And then uh, specifically, I would design a loudspeaker to do that. Is that is that more of
1: a artistic process or is it more of an electrical engineer process?
2: It's actually both. Okay, it's slightly more of an artistic process initially when when we're thinking about mm. it. when we're thinking about what it is we want the loudspeaker to do. That's very artistic. Uh, what kind of sound stage do you want? How beautiful do you want it to be? What? How close to reality do you want it to be? Do you want it to be real or do you want it to perhaps sound? so encompassing and so enveloping that it's sumptuous, Mm -hmm. beyond real, and you have to make those decisions and those choices. Uh, Most people would say, I want it to sound as real as possible. Mm. I don't say that to myself. I put a switch on my speaker, so it's click real, and the other way is click what I want it to be, Yeah, sure. uh, which is, in my case, a larger sound field, a more believable sound field, because it's nice to say be able to sit in front of your loudspeakers and imagine that you're transported to another place and another space and another time.
1: I I, uh, I I don't know nearly as much about speakers as you do. Of course, I love listening to a good speaker. I love enjoying uh, good music. But uh, w- one thing I have had, a l- I have a, a, an extensive amount of experience with is microphones. And it's interesting because the, the same discussion occurs between microphone enthusiasts. You want a microphone that reproduces accurately, the most accurate reproduction of of, of sound possible. Well, it turns out you don't. Uh, it turns out right. none of us really sound that great. Right. So, that's exactly right. So you want we, something that's Sounds better somehow. We can find find a microphone that makes me sound better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'd rather use that microphone, even if it's not a realistic representation of what my voice sounds like. And it's the antithesis of an intellectual conversation about what a microphone should sound like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and so... (laughs) Yes suffice science. <laughs> yeah for sure it does, it does exactly, so why so you've you you order the basic components, you order a driver, you order a tweeter, you order all the various components that you need um it, do you, is it just a matter of mixing and matching or is it a matter of electrical tuning or both to get various sounds out of a given
2: speaker mostly it's not a mixing and matching, mostly it's taking a driver let's say you let's say you want to make a two way system mm-hmm. take two two drivers, one for the mids and highs and one for the bass mm-hmm. and then you put them together Mm -hmm. and you make them work together and you make them work by having them in the right physical position on the driver board. Mm -hmm. You make them work by having the right frequencies from the crossover be go to each one of them. You make the phase from the crossover Mm -hmm. go to each one of them, especially at the tail end and at the beginning of the band pass so that the woofer rolls into the tweeter beautifully without uh, making a mistake. And that's all. That's all science and, it turns out, experience which turns into, be, turns into art.
1: So th- that is to say the amplifier sends uh, this frequency to this frequency and you have, a, you have a range and it's sending that to the speaker. It's just dumb. It doesn't know. It just sends a signal. And the speaker yes. then has to break that apart and say, well, these frequencies over here really should be sent to this component of the speaker and those frequencies over there should be sent to that part of the speaker and that's what's going to give that clarity and definition of the speaker cabinet. Am I understanding that correctly? No,
2: that's exactly right. That also is a very pedestrian uh, 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 understanding. It's the frequency. First principle, understanding of how a loudspeaker works, how a real-life loudspeaker works. The low frequencies are sent to the woofer. The higher frequencies are sent to the high-frequency drivers. And that's exactly what you said. That's exactly correct. Once you do that and listen to it, you sit back and you listen to it and you go, What? That sounds like a loudspeaker. Mm -hmm. It doesn't sound like a real symphony orchestra playing. Sure. And that's what you want. You want it to sound like the band you're used to. You want it to sound like the orchestra you're used to. Ideally, you'd like it to be able to sound like an orchestra if you feed it orchestra music. Mm -hmm. You know, a rock and roll band if you feed it rock and roll music. A jazz band if you feed it jazz. That's what you really want. And it's possible to do that uh, by having the proper choice of drivers and more importantly... The uh, wave launch geometry, how the wave leaves the loudspeaker, Hmm. and in what fashion, Uh, that's important. The wave launch geometry, the drivers themselves, also the power handling. That thing has to be able to handle all of the power that a symphony orchestra has Mm -hmm. or a rock band has, and... um, it's substantial it's substantial let's talk about
1: that a little bit talk about explain um to somebody that maybe isn't familiar with it what is your back emf design how does that work the back emf
2: design is just for the subwoofer it's not for the whole system right right but as far as it but it's a way to handle power Mm -hmm. right right the um the conventional way of making allowed of making a woofer at least the conventional way it was at the Mm -hmm. time i developed this was that a loudspeaker uh, had a, an impedance and you put voltage, a varying voltage into it it made it move back and forth, and that was that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, when you put it in a box, the air pressure in the box made it very difficult to move back and forth. Hmm. Uh, the air pressure would go, the natural air pressure is about 15 PSI, and if you put a box around it, the air pressure doubles. And it's very hard, if you go up to a, a woofer and push on it when it's in a box Mm -hmm. it's difficult to push it takes a lot of force that force comes from the electricity that you put through the voice coil Mm -hmm. the force is equal to the magnetic field intensity times the length of the wire that makes the voice coil Mm -hmm. times the current so it's difficult to do that and the difficulty has limited the size of uh, woofers Mm -hmm. to the to a relatively large box and the reason for that i said limited the size i said it backwards but a large box is has a lower air pressure inside than a small box sure so if you have a big box and a woofer and you go up and push on it with your hands it'll move back and forth easily if you put it in a small box it's hard to push that was the big problem that's why big bass and small boxes didn't really exist until i came along i see and uh, all big bases had to come big bass had to come in big boxes um This goes back so far that it's not true anymore, and I don't know if you've experienced that because most subwoofers today are relatively small. They're not as small as mine because I took it to the absolute limit. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I got a patent on it, and that was very nice. Mm -hmm. And today, woofers are not as large as they used to be, and they still have more output. And the way they do it is they have what's called the high-back EMF, my invention was a high-back EMF, high-box pressure subwoofer. High-box pressure because the box was small, and when the woofer moved back and forth, the box pressure was enormous. Mm-hmm. It really basically 30, 30 PSI. Mm-hmm. And remember, even a 12-inch woofer has 78 square inches. Mm-hmm. So if you add 15, think of it, 15 times 78. Oh, yeah. That's a lot, Tremendous. Of, that's a lot of force. So the voice coil has to be able to sustain the force, the uh mechanics of the loudspeaker have to sustain the force mm-hmm. without coming unglued and um and so on. So that's uh that was the uh, genesis of the woofer recognizing all of those. And, and how does the how does the back EMF go about solving that problem? Well, um imagine a regular woofer mm-hmm. and you move it back and forth and there's Oh, let me let me back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Imagine an electric motor, an electric motor, mm-hmm. and it's in it's just sitting there freely and you put electricity into it and it spins. Mm-hmm. It doesn't consume very much electricity because there's no load on it. Sure. If you load the woofer, I mean, excuse me, load the motor yep. by putting your hand around the shaft and grasping it so the shaft is not turning as easily. Right. Then what happens is the motor will automatically counteract that force. And it'll it's It's spinning velocity will remain essentially constant, but to keep it there, it has to draw more current, so more power will flow into the motor windings, Mm. and if you grasp it even harder, uh, and it takes more force to keep the thing spinning fast, the the windings will automatically pull in more current from the power source, Mm -hmm. and that'll go uh, up to a point, and then at, at some point, it's overwhelmed, and the motor will slow down and stop as you grasp it more and more sure and a subwoofer is exactly that way a subwoofer is a motor um so if you put if you mount a a subwoofer in a large box the box pressure is low there's no real force there's not an enormous force anyway holding the woofer back and forth so the current that goes into it is modest Mm -hmm. if you put it into a small box the current has to skyrocket they keep it moving back and forth because the box pressures are enormous and when the woofer moves into the box, mm-hmm. it has to f- go against the box pressure to f- ha- to be able to successfully move. Mm-hmm. More current has to flow into the voice coil. And when it moves out, it's creating a vacuum for itself. And that vacuum tends to pull the woofer back in, sure. preventing the large back and forth motions that are required to have lots of bass. Mm-hmm. And so that was a problem. Mm-hmm. Woofers uh, were designed to work. And... <clears throat> so the woofers were the woofers were small enough drew a lot of current but were in large boxes so that the uh, forces could be uh, easily overcome Overcome. Mm -hmm. yeah and my my high back mf subwoofer solved that problem made a made it possible to make very small woofers so it's it's uh, yeah
1: if i'm understanding (laughs) you correctly it's almost like the the it's not unlike a uh, maybe a a semi-truck you know to get it rolling it creates a, a tremendous amount of force to get the to, to get the, uh, the semi-moving. Once it's rolling down the interstate, though, you can kind of back off and, and, and it requires infinitely less energy to keep it rolling or to keep it moving down the interstate. Is that
2: somewhat no, uh, of a comparison? That, that's exactly right. Around resonance, that's exactly true. Around resonance, it doesn't take much force to keep it rolling. And fortunately, it's possible to build a subwoofer whose fundamental resonance is lined up with the spectral energy distribution of low frequency energy in music mm-hmm. and that makes that helps really make it efficient. So when it's when it's op, actually operating with real music from real program material mm-hmm. it doesn't have to it doesn't require a lot of power just for the reason you enunciated Your name
1: comes up uh, a lot anytime people are talking about home theater and a lot of people are interested in putting a home theater in their home, your name tends to come up anytime people are moving past the big, the big box stores where you buy a prepackaged thing and you want something that sounds better, right? Something that has the highest available uh, audio fidelity. If you want that in your home theater, <clears throat> that's when you start looking at products and, and, and amplifiers and speakers that you've designed. Uh, I, I guess it was interesting to hear you discuss that you're
2: not much of a believer in multi-channel audio. Tell me about that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I I am and I am not. Mm -hmm. I'm a believer in multi-channel audio for watching a TV show. Okay. Because it's fun to have sounds come off to the left, sounds come off to the right, Uh sounds come from above, uh, especially uh, when there's an explosion. Mm -hmm. But when we listen to music, and I'll I'll use an orchestra, Mm -hmm. when we close our eyes, we have a sense of depth. Mm -hmm. We have a sense of space. And... We have that sense of space comes from the way our hearing mechanism works. We have two ears and the sound from a single uh, sonic event, like uh, as if I snap my fingers, Mm -hmm. that's one sonic event, but we can tell where it's coming from. We can tell the space that it's in all sorts of stuff uh, that goes into our ear brain system Mm -hmm. uh, allows us to figure out a lot about that sound. Mm -hmm. And, um, that's I've lost my train of thought. Um the when we listen when we listen to music, we hear space. Very, very valuable component of the enjoyment of listening to music. Mm-hmm. And that space comes from the differential time arrivals mm-hmm. of the two sounds that arrive in our ear For any sonic event, any single sonic event, we hear two sound arrivals, one per ear. And there's each ear hears a slightly different sound. And the slight difference in that sound is interpreted and div- and explored by our brain to give us the sound of the space that the music is happening in. It tells us the size of the room, how far away the music is, how far away each instrument is. We can actually pick out individual instruments mm-hmm. in a musical ensemble, and um, and it's and it's. It, are we? Have
1: we got a time here? Yeah. No. We're 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 more than good. We've got more than half an hour. No, oh, okay. I'll, I'll keep trying that.
2: Okay. Um. The uh the sense of acoustic space is developed because we hear two sound arrivals. Okay. Each sound event, one per ear. Mm-hmm. You remember that. Now, if we play that in stereo, we can also hear almost two sound arrivals for each sonic event. Mm -hmm. If one of the speakers makes a sound, we can locate it because we hear two sound arrivals from Mm -hmm. that speaker. In stereo, we often hear both speakers playing a lot. So we hear four sound arrivals. It's not quite as good as two sound arrivals, Mm -hmm. but it's a lot better than multiple sound arrivals. The minute we put extra speakers in the system, uh, say a speaker above, a speaker to the left, a speaker Mm -hmm. to the right, a speaker to the rear, that turns out to uh, give us many sound arrivals for each sonic event. It's not particularly realistic, but it's the best we can do if we want to hear a sound stage mm-hmm. that's bigger than just two speakers. But if, if you're very, we are very careful, sit exactly between the two speakers, have a microphone that's designed to build a sense of space with two channels, there's nothing that compares with it except real life. Uh, with two speakers, if you're in the right place and you have the right program material, it's unbelievably spectacular. Uh, you can close your eyes and you would swear you're in the presence of a real live orchestra. Can't do that with multiple speakers. Your ear brain is too smart for us, for that. You can tell that there's many speakers and it's not. it doesn't sound particularly realistic. But it can be fun to listen to. It's a novel thing. Yes.
1: And I, I assume that's your recommendation, not recommendation, but that's something that you also find to be novel
2: for movies as well as TV shows. Everything. Yeah everything's compromised in the sense that sure. you can't replicate real life by watching a movie. At least not yeah, inexpensively. No, yeah,
1: sure. yeah. So when you, uh, when you go about the process of doing this, you talk about placing the, the speakers in the, in the right position. There is a right position. There is a right height. What does that look like? I know that there's a huge push right now to put speakers inside of walls to get them behind acoustically transparent covering so that they can't be seen uh, to make the space more visually approachable. What's
2: your thoughts on that? Well, it won't work. Of course. So if one is, if we're audiophiles, we would never even consider doing that, uh, because it doesn't sound good. It can't sound right because there are too many sound arrivals per sonic event. The sound comes out of the speaker. It hits the wall as it comes out. It makes more sounds. That sound hits the wall, makes multiple, multiple sound launches and it destroys the sense of acoustic space. So when you uh when
1: you sit down if you're if your if somebody hands you two speakers let's say we're going with a two channel system how do you go about you have an empty room how do you go about determining the right uh, uh, the right size of speaker for the uh, right acoustical space is there any treatment you do to the to the space itself where do you place the speakers where do you place the listener all of those kinds of things
2: well if somebody handed me two speakers and they were relatively small mm-hmm. maybe f- Five inches, six inches. Well, let's say we're talking right. about the CRM2s. Okay, yes, relatively small. Uh, those speakers are designed not to have secondary wave launches. If, if, a, to- if a single sonic event is, input, is put into the speaker electrically, it'll make one sonic event come out almost, mm-hmm. not quite, but close. And so the way to uh, position those speakers is away from a wall, away from a back wall, away from a side wall, away from anything that's reflective that would generate an extra wave launch when the initial wave coming out of the speaker hit Mm. it and bounced off. So the position is you put two uh, loudspeakers, let's say on a stand, on a Mm -hmm. small stand at ear height and um, extend your arms out at say 40 degrees each Mm -hmm. and um, that's where the speakers would be and then play the music and sit between them. And the secret is to minimize the extra flat reflections that occur off of the boundaries of the wall and the room. When you hear that sound, what your ear does is take the sound from the left speaker, and also the left ear gets sound from the right speaker. That's a slight flaw in the ointment, mm-hmm. but not a big one, mm-hmm. uh, and vice versa. And what happens is our ear brain makes a big, huge panorama of sound. Hmm. out of just two small speakers and you can read magazine articles that ex- that talk about that mm-hmm. um, and it's delightful to listen to it sounds so real and so realistic and it's such a desirable sound it's tough to get because mm-hmm. you have to be careful with the room acoustics and not have th- things bouncing the sound around you want it sort of dead up where the speaker is mm-hmm. and um uh, the other extreme is an ambience kind of speaker, like a Bose 901, which uh-huh. has multiple drivers, and it's designed to bounce the sound around the room. And it does. Um, and that's sort of enjo- that can be very enjoyable, to, uh-huh. hear, to hear a multitude of sound, multitudinous of uh, different sounds bounced from the walls. Uh-huh. It gives it a nice echoey sound, and that's very pleasant as well. But it's not nearly as accurate. It's not as realistic. And in my view, it's not as enjoyable As having a true stereo uh, system that I just described.
1: So, in in a perfect world, then, if I'm understanding you correctly, we would deaden the entire room. Almost. You want as much of dead because you can. You can is is the is the idea that we can reintroduce. Echo if we need to once we have a dead room and we have
2: control over those those two point sources. Well, of course we can do that. I, I prefer to have the dead room up front where the speakers are and then have it live behind me. Mm. And that gives that's called a live end dead end room. I see. And it's very effective, and it is extremely uh, effective. And you use the room itself to generate the ambience and the echoes that we need to make a live to make mm-hmm. it sound real and big and live. Sure. And yet. From the front, you're getting pristine sound launches that are uncluttered with Uh, sound launches that will only mess up the sound. How do you go about deadening the front of the room? What do you recommend? Couches, chairs. Oh, really? That low-tech, huh? Carpets, yeah, very low-tech. And if you want to, uh, put some uh, sound-absorbing panels on the walls, and they're very pretty ones. You can Mm -hmm. get them that look like photographs, that look like, pictures on the wall uh or they're just very attractive sound absorbing panels with
1: colors so when you say these modern modern approaches to audio uh for home theater are not necessarily ideal because they 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 don't sound good um is it, what is the primary factor is it the fact that it's in wall is it a fact that they put acoustically transparent supposedly coverings over them what factors contribute to it not
2: sounding great um it's all of the above uh, they, okay it can sound great, by the way. I mean, mm-hmm. a home theater can sound great, can sound compelling, and it's fun to listen to. It's sound everywhere. Um, however, it lacks it lacks the timing information that we have in a stereo system that I just described or mm. in in a real-life scenario. And that's the slight timing, that's the slight difference in arrival times of the same sound both ears. That goes away when you do surround sound. And and so you lose that information. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if you had, what if you had uh, in-wall speakers? You had, you know, uh, coverings or whatever. But it's we're just still talking about two-channel. Um, any degradation in sound
2: quality there? Not not as much. Not as much. Uh, again, what makes the best two-channel experience possible is where you have the two speakers. And they're delivering sounds that are devoid of early reflections mm-hmm. or secondary la- wave launches. And you have to, it's a lot of, it's troublesome to get there. And if you read the, some of the descriptions in magazines, mm-hmm. the speaker should be away from the walls. It should be relatively small. It should be up on a stand. So there's nothing in the way of the sound and the wave launch. Once you put it against the wall or in the wall, mm-hmm. all of a sudden the wall itself is reproducing sound and sending out wave launches. You have, and actually this should really speak
1: to the idea that somebody does not need a large budget to produce speakers. Your lab, Bob Carver's lab, is really your old house, isn't it? Yes, And so, I mean, you don't have some, I mean, I'm sure there's, you know, there's, there's very high quality equipment inside of it, but it's not like you have some massive warehouse with hundreds of thousands of people that are all coming around and scientists running around in lab coats trying to do this. It's you sit down, you listen to the music and you say, that sounds good. That sounds like garbage. Let's make more of the good and less of the garbage, right? That's exactly right. What does your Mm -hmm. listening room uh,
2: look like? What describe that? Um, It's the, it's a large, large room that's upstairs And I look out the window and I see a a garden Mm -hmm. and I see a wood and I see woods. Uh, If I look out the front, I have to go to the other side of the house and there's a street there. Mm -hmm. But it starts out with a nice sense. You have a nice feeling when you look out and you see woods and flowers and Mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, The inside is just some, uh, uh, there's a couch on the left side, normal furniture. Mm -hmm. I designed my speakers to be in a real house so I design them in a room that, uh, that's supposedly like a real house. Mm. It's a, I call it my standard living room. <laughs> <laughs> You've it, standardized the living room. That's right. It has, it, it, is, uh, yeah, it has couch and some chairs and some tables, stuff like that, to make it seem like a real living room. And from that, I design the acoustics of the loudspeaker. You okay taking a call? Absolutely. 855-450-NOAA.
1: That's 1-855-450-6624. George in Denver, you're on the Ask NOAA Show with Bob Carver and myself. Good afternoon.
0: Hey, uh, thank you. I think I had a pair of Carver speakers at one point in time. Um, anyway, uh, this whole this whole uh, topic uh, conversation is quite fascinating to me because uh, I've been uh, involved with music uh, most of my life and synthesized music for oh at least ten years. And right right now, I uh, wow uh, play a piano tech piano. Are you familiar with the piano tech piano at all?
2: No, I'm not. Describe it
0: it's a it's a virtual <laughs> piano that is modeled it's mathematically modeled it's not sampled uh-huh. and um uh what i what I found very interesting in the in, in your conversation is how you're talking about it how uh smaller speakers because what I noticed with the PianoTech piano having bought just just fairly inexpensive uh computer speakers uh for it uh-huh. that um it sounds much better uh-huh. with uh, a smaller um, woofer or subwoofer or whatever they're calling it. The the you know slightly it's a it's a very small, of small speaker. Um, you know in a in a say like a ten by twelve box, and the speaker is much smaller. Certainly. But what that does to the piano. Is it gives the uh, upper overtones of the um, lower bass strings, um, and and that's really what what gives an acoustic piano its its characteristic sound. You have to, you you can't just hear um, the 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 fundamental note itself. You have to hear the overtone um, partials that are uh, a part of the uh, string sound. So. Of course. I don't know. No, I just, I just, I just find the whole topic kind of fascinating, and I just want to bring that up. and And I'll say one more thing, and then let you continue on. But recently, I bought a Samsung Tab Five SE. Mm-hmm. It has uh, four speakers in it that are very, very tiny, really. Um, but the sound is quite remarkable. And uh, when you set it flat on a table, it changes it quite a bit and improves it huh. considerably. And, and, and I, fi- I find it fascinating how, um, a- as time has progressed, how they're managing to get uh, better and better sound out of very, very uh, small speakers. So if you could just kind of elaborate on what I've said, I'll, oh, I'll let it go with that.
2: Certainly, uh, what you said is absolutely an expected result from a scientific point of view. Um, the smaller a small speaker actually can make better sound than a big speaker. Often, and the reason is that the extraneous wave launches that are that accompany a large speaker are gone in a small speaker. What we want for the best fidelity is to have one sound leave the loudspeaker for each. S- Electrical sound input. Uh, With a large speaker, very often there are multiple sound launches, wave launches for a single sound, sonic input. And that tends to make the sound not as realistic in a dimensional sort of way when it goes and flows, when it goes from the speaker into our air brain system. In other words, we want, when we listen to real life, we hear two sonic events, or we hear two two sounds for each sonic event, um, one per ear. When we listen to a loudspeaker's though, we hear many more than that, and that destroys a lot of the realism. So a loudspeaker that's very small and is designed specifically to make one sound, and only one for an, a given input, will always sound more realistic, provided the rest of it's good, that it's flat, has nice tonality and st- stuff like that, and low distortion, uh, especially when you have two of them and you space them such that you can listen to them with two ears, more or less on the on the equal plane, equal partition plane. Um, and it's. Well, do it's, you have any
0: thoughts on um, tube amplifiers as compared to transistor amplifiers? Now, tube amplifiers, in my opinion, have completely gone out of fashion. But um, <laughs> in in the early days. Um, when transistor-style amplifiers were first coming out, I always considered the tube amplifiers to sh- sound better, and I and I know uh, in the early days of synthesis too that um, that there that there's a feeling that tubes generally are better than transistors. I'd just like to get your uh, feeling on the subject.
2: Well, tube amps have, tube amplifiers have had a resurgence. Everybody loves the way a tube amplifier sounds, and uh, tube amplifiers sound a, in a, a sound a particular way because of the way they uh, they integrate with the loudspeaker. The uh, loudspeaker has an impedance, and the amplifier operates against that impedance and can generate a sound of its own. So each amplifier, especially if it's a tube amplifier, will have a unique sound and a sonic signature of its own. And And each one will be slightly different. And people like that. Solid state amps, on the other hand, typically do not have a sonic signature of their own. And the reason for that is that their output impedance approaches zero. Whereas on a tube amp, it's between one and three and four ohms. And that makes the speaker, um, it gives the speaker the ability to respond to the room, uh, act like a microphone in reverse, feed that signal back into the amplifier. The amplifier amplifies it. And it makes the loudspeaker uh, sound way different in a room than it would be if it were driven from a solid-state amplifier. For that reason, and it's often an enjoyable sound.
0: Does that well, answer? I think the thought was that tube tube amplifiers are warmer sounding, and uh, again, I think all of this has improved over time greatly. But um, the uh, originally, I guess, transistors were just kind of. Hard and dry.
2: By, compar- I'd characterize it. Well, by comparison, they were, but not because of the transistors. It was simply because of the output impedance of the amplifier. A tube amplifier has a high output impedance. A solid-state amplifier, transistor amplifier, has an, an output impedance approaching zero. And that makes the speaker sound vastly different, especially in a room. When, If it's driven by a tube amp, think of it this way. The sound leaves the loudspeaker... It bounces around in the room, bounces off the wall, comes back to the loudspeaker. The loudspeaker acts as if it were a microphone in reverse. That voltage is fed to the input of the amplifier, and it reemerges, and you hear it, and you hear it as the warmth of the room. In other words, it's reproducing the sound of the room more than a solid-state amplifier would. If in a solid-state amplifier, the sound bounces off the wall of the room, returns to the speaker, that voltage is then sent back to the amplifier input, uh, except it's not because it's shorted out. It, there's a, Since the output impedance of the solid-state amplifier is essentially zero, it's shorted out and that voltage never returns to the room. You don't hear it and it makes the room sound. It makes the amplifier sound slightly smaller, a little more sterile perhaps. Certainly not with the warmth of the room. Bob, didn't you, didn't you
1: uh, at one point design amplifiers specifically to compete with tube amplifiers to show that a solid-state amplifier could perform as well as a tube amplifier? Yes, I did. So you can, I mean, with the right electrical design, you can make a, a solid-state amplifier sound the same as a tube amplifier, but lately you're actually starting a process in which you're designing amplifiers, to, as you put it, to have a different acoustic signatures.
2: That's right. Exactly. I give my amplifiers the acoustic signature that I like.
1: Does that answer your question, George?
0: Yeah, I, I got one more, if you don't mind. Sure. What's his oh, yeah. opinion on uh, on oral exciters? Um, I've, I've really seen, seen it demonstrated only once. Bo Tomlin gave a workshop on synthesis, and he and he showed how oral exciter, which I, it, his explanation was it kind of adds uh, trash to the sound, uh, cool. really in, enhances the war, uh, warmth. I'd just like to get your opinion on that.
2: Um, it's been a long time since I re- I anal- about twenty years ago I analyzed the oral exciter, and uh, I, I'm having to search my memory banks right now. But I, as as I remember it, it modifies the uh, input signal. It warms it up quite a bit. It it allows the room the feedback into it through the loudspeaker, and uh, it excites the room. And I don't know why they put the word oral in there, but uh, it's the way it works. It actually does excite the room a little bit. And I thought it sounded just great.
0: Yeah, it does. It does make a huge difference. Okay, well, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciate it. and. and if you can explain how a Samsung tablet could sound so great, I'd be interested in that, too. But thank you.
1: We appreciate the call, George. Again, 855-450-NOAH. That's 855 The email, live at asknoahshow.com. You can also join us um, in our interactive mumble room. We'd love to have you either way. By the way, take another moment just to mention our, our call, which you can head over to asknoahshow.com. There on the lower right-hand corner of the page, you can click on live call. Hey, all we need is a web browser. You got a web browser? You got a headset? You can join us right here on the program. We don't collect any information. You don't have to sign in. There's no account creation necessary, and you can join us on the program. We'd love to have you that way. Bob, I want to ask you this: BobCarverCorp.com. That's your website. It is your. This is your retirement project, essentially, right? You're 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 exiting the industry as yep. you keep saying. You're retiring. You've been doing it for forty years. You're ready to be done, but at the same time. You've still got a boatload of passion and you don't know what to do with that. And so what you've done is you've taken it and said, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to work on toys that I want to invent and I want to play with and things that I think should exist. Rather or not they're profitable, I just want to make them. And as part of that, you have brought back one of your coolest speakers ever, and that is the Amazing Line Source. Tell me about that
2: speaker. Well, the Amazing Line Source is a a loudspeaker that is approximately five or six inches in diameter. It goes from floor to ceiling. Mm-hmm. It it uh, bumps into the ceiling and it bumps into the floor. And that, imagine the floor and ceiling, a mirror. Uh, if you look at s- such a th- device mm-hmm. and, and look at it, it looks as if it goes to minus infinity because you see the reflection in the mirror and looking at it from uh, looking at the top of it, it seems to go into go to plus infinity. Mm-hmm. And that's what a mirror does uh, uh Visually, but a, a normal floor and a normal ceiling will do the same thing for sound. So this we have a line source that's not just floor to ceiling, but goes from way below the floor to way above the ceiling. And such such a uh, a loudspeaker can launch a wave that gives us a sense of acoustic space and fidelity that's not really available, in my opinion, any mm-hmm. other, any other way. It makes it when you sit in front of a line source and listen to it. It sounds like a real live symphony orchestra or a real live jazz band or a real live rock and roll group. The sound extends from extends beyond the speakers left and right above the speakers into the ceiling and far, far back from the speakers. It's not a flat curtain of sound strung between two speakers Hmm. and normal speakers produce a flat curtain of sound strung between two speakers. Do you, would you recommend
1: such a speaker for a home theater environment or is it really more for just music, uh, music listening?
2: It's, um, I think really more for music listening, but it's for both. I mean, uh, every time I've used a loudspeaker f- that I've loved mm-hmm. in home theater, mm-hmm. I mean, excuse me, uh, in stereo mm-hmm. and hooked it up to home theater. I liked the way it sounded. It sounded spectacular. Uh, I also believe that it doesn't need to be that it can be, a regular set of speakers and can sound spectacular provided the musical information is correct to make it sound that way. So the, the source audio
1: obviously being a very important thing and you, you have, uh, I I know you do so many interviews and and are so busy. I'm not sure if you recall, but you and I had a very in-depth discussion on uh, 192 kilobit sampling and uh, the ultra high fidelity audio and and the community that has erupted around that. Um, And, and so that is the, the idea of, you know, there are the, even though the vast majority of people get their their music at 320 kilobits from amazon.com just download as an mp3 there are those of us that still search for the highest uncompressed source um, uh, oftentimes even going back to get uh, you know original santana recordings that before yeah. they were doing digital sampling and stuff It was interesting on the way when i picked you up from the airport on the way into grand forks one of the things that you said to me which i thought was very interesting you don't believe there's any degradation in or, or I guess, I, let me rephrase, you don't believe that there's any inherent limitation of a digital audio system as opposed to an
2: analog audio system. Sometimes the implementation just isn't there. That's correct. That's correct. That's interesting. It, intrinsically, there shouldn't be. And it, and it does not need to be super-duper uh, high bit rate and all that. All that happens when you reduce the bit rate, if it's done right, mm-hmm. is the signal-to-noise ratio is hurt. The noise floor is not as good. So sure. what that means is that if you stop the recording and listen you'll hear a hiss at the, mm-hmm. at the bottom which you wouldn't if you had a higher bit rate you'd hear dead silence so what sure i, I mean even analog has a, a noise floor that's oh absolutely that's, that's hissy sure and we love it and we live and we live with it and we mm-hmm. and it's actually, we embrace it you, we, we embrace it because it doesn't sound bad that's why we embrace it um, that's all that happens. I'm
1: going to get to a piece of feedback and then uh, and then I want to uh, talk a little bit about your website and and and, and where people can engage with you. Uh, as always, you can send feedback to live at AskNoahShow.com. We'd love to have it. We'd rest your questions, your thoughts on the air here at the end of the show. Um, this week, Scott writes in. He says, Hi, Noah. I've been listening to your program for quite some time and you're a goldmine of information. I appreciate all the work you do for the community. Recently, I've been experiencing some... Co- some trouble with my current gigabit d-link unmanaged switch i recall that you don't like ubiquity switches so i looked up on microtech's site i'm wondering if i can get your thoughts on these two the products he lists are the crs 125 24 g 1s in and the cs 326 24 g s 2s plus rm pricing on them both seems very reasonable only concern i have at this point is that it may be too difficult to configure the thing thanks scott so let's start with this Uh, as far as my dislike for ubiquity switches If you're in a home environment and you don't need stacking, true multicast, if you don't need IGMP layer 3, if you don't need NetFlow, if you don't need PV, STP, if you don't need officially supported out-of-band management, and if you don't need uh, TAC ACS, then Ubiquiti switches are fine. If you start to get into small business or enterprise environment and you're dealing with enterprise-level networks then ubiquity switches start to fall apart. And it, it's it, it's a frustrating conversation to me, to be very honest with you, because ubiquity makes a very high-quality product. They just designed their product not necessarily to be for uh the thing that people try to use it they're just they try to cram them into situations that they don't belong now that's not ubiquity's fault that's the fault of the user so it's not necessarily that i don't like ubiquity switches i just all too often find people trying to use them in places that they don't belong so if you want my overall recommendation for a switch if you just written into the program and said i i just want a switch what would you buy i would tell you to buy an hp uh, uh 1920 19, 20, 24 port switch that is a that is a go, great go-to standard It has all of the features and functionality with Cisco without the pretty price tag of a Cisco switch. It functions beautifully. The web interface is very easy to learn out of the box. It's going to function perfectly just like your unmanaged switch would. But when you desire for those to to, to escalate in features, those features are going to be there. Um, Of the two options that you gave me, I would go for the uh, CS 32624G2S plus RM. And why? Because I have experience with it. and I don't have experience with the with the CRS-125. So I I would tell you to go through the 326. The the, the reason I don't use a lot, of, a lot of Microtech switches, even though we use Microtech routers all the time, is frankly, I think HP makes a better switch. They're about similar price points. The HP is a little bit more expensive, but you're really getting something for that money. The other thing I really like about HP, it has an insanely intuitive uh, CLI. So if you SSH into the switch and you need to manage it from the CLI, which let's face it, some of us have to do from remote sites sometime, the HP is going to be a better choice. Again, hope that, that answers your question. If not, you can write back to live at AskNoahShow.com. We'll take it in another episode. So, Bob, I, Bob as we just a couple minutes left in the program, I guess what I want to close with is I want to talk a little bit about your website, com. You have a history of you start, uh, you start, you come up with an idea, you build a company around it, you grow it to, to success, and then you've s- sold it. And that's kind of been a history. That's what happened with Carver. That's what happened with Sunfire. Is that what happened with the phase linear as well? Yes, so that that's been kind of your modus operandi. Uh, Bob Carver Corp is something different. It's more of, it's more you and less business. It's more your passion and less of uh market desire. It's a very niche audience. You're building. That's why I laughed when when uh, when our friend George was chatting with you about tube amps. You're building tube amps right now because you think they sound good and because that they they have this characteristic that you really like and want to bring back. Talk and, about
2: that. And they're fun to build. Uh, I believe. I mean. I can make a solid state amp sound like a tube amp and I can almost make a tube amp sound like a solid state amp. Um, So, uh, so there's a, there's an ability and a technology there. Mm -hmm. So why am I building tube amps? Why not just build a solid state, state amp and make it sound like my favorite tube amp. And the reason is that it's more fun. Mm. It's actually a lot of fun to build tube amps. Is it because it's challenging? Uh, No, it's just fun. I grew up, I think it's because I grew up with tube amps Mm. as a, as a youngster and as a teenager, all they had were tubes. They didn't mm-hmm. have transistors yet. And so I built tube amps, and it was a lot of fun. It's And today, um, the, it, it, it's much more fun to watch a big tube amp with its glowing tubes sit, <laughs> sitting on the floor. It and has you're And you're listening to music. Yeah. And you're listening. Oh, it's just, there's nothing like it. You listen to, listen to some beautiful music from beautiful speakers, and there's a big tube amp on the floor sitting there. I mean, there's. Looking at a solid-state amp on the floor is Mm -hmm. nothing in
1: comparison.
2: And in North Dakota, where it
1: gets to be 30 below zero, (laughs) the louder the music is... The less your heating bill is.
2: That's right. <laughs> that's right. You save a lot bill. of money with a big tube amp and <laughs> heating
1: bills. So people, if they're interested, Bob, they can purchase uh, these custom made tube amps. You sell mono amps. You sell stereo amps. But all of those plus your amazing line source speakers are available at BobCarverCorp.com. Is that right? And they that, can. That's right. You can purchase them there. Are you still doing the custom uh, enclosure deals where people ha- where you were making you know various paint jobs and stuff like that?
2: No, I don't do that
1: okay well that's cool so uh, bobcarvercorp.com is the website Bob Carver. i don't suppose you're on twitter or facebook or any of those things no i'm not no no you just I, come. I, up.
2: but some people have put me there and so there's, there's something <laughs> i don't think that counts <laughs> well they, they can they can join you come yeah. back
1: on the ask no show yeah. they can chat with you here yeah. huh uh-huh.
2: they can actually anybody can just look at my uh, website and and send me a, a letter from that or they can they get a hold e- of you e- email me i'm easy there you go in fact i think my phone number's there you can call me There you go. I keep my cell phone in my pocket at all times and it's on and I'm open for business.
1: That's awesome. Well, Bob, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate you coming on the program and chatting with us and and explaining your passion for audio and and high definition audio, home theater, all of those things. It's been fun. We'll get you back on the program soon. I'd I'd be delighted. Yeah. That'll be great. And and we 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 have the best of the week for us anyway. It's just getting started. Like we've got a whole bunch of experiments lined up downstairs. (laughs) We got speakers, we got microphones, we're doing tons of testing. That's right. All right. Well, thanks again, Bob. Hey did you know this show is available as a downloadable podcast that's right you can check it out by going to podcast.asknoahshow.com you know we're talking about Bob Carver Corp and all these various websites and things you can order hey that's where you can find the links to all those again podcast.asknoahshow.com the Ask Noah show continues next Tuesday 6 p.m. Central a huge thanks to Sarah filling in for call screener and JTR executive producer we'll see you next week